Well, good morning. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 23 is where we're at this morning. Um, gosh, as I prepared for this text this morning, um, man, such powerful truths here that I pray that God would use to remind us um, who He is and even restore in our hearts and in our lives the supremacy of, of Him and the supremacy of His Son. Um, we, we live in a day and age where um, just because someone says the name of Jesus doesn't mean they're talking about the same Jesus that the Bible depicts. Okay? Um, and so what, what Paul's doing here for the church of Colossae is he's reminding them of the, the Jesus that's real. Okay, because just like in our day, there were false teachers that were coming into the church and trying to persuade them differently, trying to get their focus off of here's who the real, real God is, the real Jesus is. And I want to remind you, and some even believe that the text that we're going to look at this morning, 15 through 20, is a hymn that they knew quite well and sang and rejoiced in and rejoiced over. Um, I'm going to ask this question. Let's start by just kind of prepping our brains a little bit. Who is Jesus? What do you think? Shoot some answers out. Son of God, Savior. What else? What'd you say? Redeemer? God. Friend. Perfection. Who love? Who is Jesus? Sustainer? Creator? You're reading ahead, aren't you? No. <laughs> I mean, we did read it, so <laughs> kind of had to jump on on where I'm going here. Um. Let's look at the first verse, verse 15. And I want to share a personal example. Um, It says, uh, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of the firstborn of all creation. Um, One of the things that's interesting about about God that I think makes faith what faith is, is the fact that he's invisible. Okay, but the amazing reality is that Jesus makes God visible. That's the first thing that that comes out here is that he is the image. He being Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Um, So Tobin is in this stage of scared of the dark. Okay, and so like anytime he has to go into his room or go in the basement or go somewhere where it's dark, he's, daddy, I can't, it's dark. Or when he's going to bed, he's like, he needs a lighter, and he needs a hall light on because he's afraid of the dark. And one of the things that we've done from the very beginning, um, and I hope to always do, is establish this reality with our kids that, that God is with them. 
Um, and as hard as it is for us to even conceptualize that sometimes, it's even harder for a three-year-old to be like, no, he's not. Like, like what, are you, what are you talking about? Even, even the other day, um, we were getting ready for bed, and I was like, buddy, go in your room. Uh, God's with you in there. And he's like, is, is God with you in your room? Like, yeah. He's like, and I was kind of proud of him for kind of the, what he was about to do here. He's like, so there's two gods? It's like, all right, now you're thinking. But I'm like, but no, 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 that's bad theology. Okay, and so like, so for, for him to try to grasp this idea that like, I can't see God, so therefore God must not be here, okay? Um, and the amazing thing about Jesus is that he makes God visible, Okay, through his work on the cross, we have the ability to see God. Okay, Mark 4.24 says that God is spirit. So God doesn't have hands. God doesn't have feet. God doesn't have arms. God is a spirit. Okay, and, and Jesus is the one who actually brings visible qualities to a spiritual God. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So image denotes this idea of manifestation, that, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It's this manifestation. It brings with it an actual presence of the object. That Jesus actually brings God to light. A bit, this visual expression. But he goes on in verse 15 after he says he is the image of the invisible God. He says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Okay, so he's, he's this supreme being. Okay, now, many in, in, even in our culture, but here in this day, would, would try to demean and denote God down, diminish God to this, just a man. Um, and there was, this, there was this teacher named Arius. And Arius, this was from the 4th century. Arius was basically a, a teacher that taught that Jesus was merely created. Okay? And, and really um, ruined any sense of the idea that, that Jesus is God. So um, it's where this idea of Arianism comes from that denies the div- divinity of Jesus. And Arius kind of held this strange position that Jesus was the created creator. Um, And while that was ruled out by the church not long after that, um, it wasn't fully eradicated because people continued to hold to it. And we see it even in our day here now with Jehovah's Witnesses and even Mormons who will will say that Jesus is God. but not so, I'm, I'm sorry, that will say that Jesus is the Son of God, but will not come full fledged to say that Jesus is God. This is the false teaching that, that Paul with the Church of Colossae was trying to eradicate, was trying to remove, and it's even present in our day, still here today. Paul's wanting to restore that view of Jesus being God. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created 
In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus, we've probably been taught this from when we were very young, but I think we, we kind of dumb it down. Jesus is the source of creation. Okay, so, so he wasn't just this created being. Okay? He wasn't created at all. He's always been. He's always existed. We see that when, when it says that he is, for by him all things were created. So what is that saying? It's saying that he's the one who, he's the one who thought it up. He thought up the idea to, to create the world. And it came about by his power through him. It came about by his, his reign and his rule and his ability. But more than that, for him. For him. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the goal of creation. That everything that was created was created for the glory and the fame and the name of God. John 1 puts it this way. You've maybe heard this passage before. It says, in the beginning was the word. The word is Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus was with God in the beginning, but he's also God. Because it wasn't just all of a sudden he came on the scene when he was born here on earth, but he's always existed. And it goes on to say he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the source of creation Paul goes on in verse 17 and he, he says this, For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, on some levels, this is hard to conceptualize. The fact that Jesus is outside of time. Because you and I, we wear a watch and we're pretty much slaves to our watches um, or our clocks um, or our schedules. Um, Jesus isn't governed by time. He's outside of time. Scripture says that he's before all things um, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 104. I, I want to show you this in a pretty powerful way. This idea that Jesus um, is outside of time and the sustainer of time. Psalm 104. I don't think we, we fully realize the fact that creation is literally being sustained by Christ. That he's holding it together. That he's the one who makes it work. Um, but Psalm 104 is going to help us. Let's, uh, let's start in verse 8. It says this, The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. Like, you hear that language? Like, God's the one who's governing his creation. Verse 10, you, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Like, so rain just doesn't randomly happen. Like it's God watering and sustaining his creation. 
Verse 14, you cause the grass to grow from your li- for your livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. So several um, months ago, I was at the community garden, and um, there was a lady who came up to find out some information about the garden and what we were doing. And um, Lisa, who's one of the other directors, uh, directs the garden with Megan, uh, was there and um, the, I think the amazing thing about that is she's not a Christian, um, and her and Megan co-direct the garden together. So she was there, and this lady walked up, and she's like, tell me a little bit about what's going on here. And so I said, yeah, this is Lisa. She's one of the directors, um, and you know, she can kind of fill you in. So Lisa started telling her the story and what we're doing. And, and the lady's like, well, I have a question. Um, I, I'm interested in bringing a group of people here to the garden and, and I'm interested in, in us kind of walking around the garden and kind of meditating and, uh, and seeing if we can kind of transfer our energy into the energy of the plants and, and kind of yield a better crop. And so, and I look at her, I'm kind of sitting here, and at this point I wasn't really saying anything, but at this point I was like, now's my entrance into this conversation. Um, and I said, so you mean prayer, right? And she's like, no, no, not prayer. Um, and so um, I've fully knew what she meant. Um, and so it was, it was this interesting moment for me because here, what this lady wanted to do was utilize her own meditation as a means to somehow bring about the fruit of a better crop. Um, scripture says, that God causes the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. Like that it's, it's God's work. And how unbelievable of an opportunity. Now I have no clue what happened to that story or where that went or that relationship. But I was like, how awesome is it that through this community thing that we have in this garden, we have an opportunity to rub shoulders with people like this and even bring the name of, of Jesus Christ, the sustainer of creation, Into her, into her thoughts, into her worldview. That Jesus is the sustainer of creation. Stay in Psalm 104. Go, go to verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and the Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. I love that. Like God, it's like creating this image of the oceans, and God formed the animals that would play in, the, in his waters that he created. He's like, there they go. 27. Look at this. This is huge. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. And get this. And when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. What is that saying? It's saying God's the controller of his creation. God's the sustainer of his creation. So let me ask you this, where is it in your life that you need God to sustain you? 
where it is in your life that maybe you've forgotten the reality of God being on the throne in the midst of your situation, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your valley. You need God to be, you need to be reminded that God's the sustainer of you and your obedience in the difficult path and in the difficult road. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So Paul starts here by establishing um, God, uh, Jesus, as the Lord of creation. Okay, we know um, how creation began to spiral out of control when, when God gave man free will and man chose to not keep God at reign and chose to not keep God as the one who controls his life and it began to spiral out of control. And here, notice the image that Paul's painting with now talking about redemption entering the scene. Okay, so he establishes creation, and then here he's beginning to establish a new creation. Okay, through the work of the church when he says this, and he, that being Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Okay, now when we think of firstborn, it's talking not so much about the physical, okay? Because we know that when Jesus came to earth, he wasn't the first one ever born, okay? So we've got to scratch that off the list, okay? Um, but we also know that he wasn't just this created being, that he's always been. So when it's talking about Jesus as the firstborn, it's establishing his authority, okay? It's establishing his authority as God and his deity. But it's doing it through What? What does it say? The firstborn from what? From among the dead. So it's establishing his authority through his resurrection. Okay, so when it talks about hit through his resurrection, we know that he wasn't the firstborn to ever rise from the dead. The first one, right? Lazarus rose from the dead before him. Okay? He was the one who called him up. But it's establishing the means by which God brings about redemption through the work of his son in his resurrection. In his resurrection. Um, so I was reading this week. And I found this interesting story. Um, about a chicken. And it's this chicken named Mike. Uh, Mike was born in 1945. Um, and there was a story where. Mike's running out in the chicken coop. And all of a sudden mom comes out to. Cut his head off. For dinner. And um, actually. Actually doesn't hit quite right, and um, the chicken actually, without a head, lives for 18 months without a head. I mean, it's like, it's like famous. When you, like, when you Google headless chicken, like, Mike comes up. <laughs> okay, go do it. Not now, okay, but, but go do it. I thought about putting a picture of Mike up, but I thought, no, I'll, I'll spare you of that. But, but Mike comes up, and it's like this famous story of the chicken that lived without a head. Now, Paul uses this image of Jesus being the head of the body, the church. What is that saying? It's establishing Jesus as the authority. It's establishing Jesus as the head. 
as the lead pastor, the senior pastor, the one who sets the president, the one who defines, here's what church is, here's what it means to be the body of Christ. Here's what it means to be my people that bring about redemption. But you know what? How often do God's people want to remove him as head and try to function without Jesus as the head of the church and begin to build something that's nothing of what the Bible defines church to be. Your elders here are doing everything we possibly can to sit before Jesus and saying, what does it look like for you to be the head of this place? And if at any point you feel like that's not happening, you feel like we're leading apart from Jesus being the head and what he defines church to be, please talk to us. Say something. Because we want this to be a place where Jesus is the head. And we don't try to attempt to live our life to establish anything here of any value because we can't. Apart from Jesus reigning and ruling as the head of this place. Jesus defines the church. And what's amazing is people are his method. Like I've never fully grasped that. That God's chosen to, to bring about redemption through his people. To establish his rule and reign in the hearts of, of you and I and the hearts of all in the world. Too often we're trying to make it work without him as the head. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, so Paul then goes in to talk about Jesus's, the, the fact that Jesus is everything that God is. Okay, So really reestablishing this idea of the deity of Jesus. That Jesus is everything that God is. The person of Jesus Christ really mirroring and imaging the person of God. And then he goes on in verse 20. And he says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Um, reconciliation is kind of this, this interesting concept um, because even, even when we think about reconciliation biblically, um, we don't always like it because it's going to require tough things. It's going to require you know, us to deal with the brokenness in us. And we would much rather ignore the brokenness that's present in our lives and actually deal with walking a road of reconciliation and Jesus being the means of our reconciliation. But here... Paul's trying to establish this fact that Jesus is the means to us being reconciled to a holy God. That through the person of Jesus, that he wasn't just this good teacher, he wasn't just this man who walked the earth, but he was actually God who purchased us and reconciled us. And that sin brought about a spiraling out of control of, of our lives. And that we, through Christ, have the opportunity to, to see restoration happen. I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers this past week. Um, and she's not a believer. And her world was pretty much turned upside down this past week. When uh, two of her friends were killed. One, both of them 25. One through a motorcycle accident. And the other through taking his own life. And I'm sitting here at work. Um, and, you know, here I am doing my job at Subway and 
trying to bring hope to a girl that really doesn't get it. And I don't get it either. And I'm like, how do I try to, to bring reconciliation to someone that is so broken over the fact that she's lost two friends and she doesn't have the hope of Christ. And honestly, like even with the hope of Christ, I don't fully get it either. Like, do you follow that? Even as Christians with the hope of Christ, that's where faith comes in. And it, it, as, as hard as I tried to enter into her life and speak hope and point her to Christ, like, I just felt like it failed miserably. My neighbor was telling me a story about his wife who has to get foot surgery on both of her feet, and he's kind of down about it. She's going to be out for six weeks, and, and just kind of broken, and they're just kind of down. And, and here I am, I'm like trying to, you know, how can we help, and trying to serve them, and trying to figure out how to bring the hope of Christ to a lost and broken world, and the people that are in my life. That's who Jesus is. That's who we are as God's people. That we have the opportunity and the ability through the work of Christ to bring about reconciliation to the hearts of those that are broken, including us. Including us. Christ is the center. So I don't don't know where you work, where you play, where you shop, where you spend your time, but every place your foot touches the ground, there's a need for reconciliation to take place. There's a need for Jesus to be proclaimed and spoken every single place you go. Do you realize that? Sometimes I just get so caught up in my job, so caught up in the tasks I need to do that I, that I forget that the people I'm interacting with are people. Like, you ever just get mad at somebody, like, driving down the street or a waitress that's rude? As if they don't have a life and they don't have brokenness, as if they're there to just serve us? I used to get into all these debates with Danielle when we were early on in marriage. We still debate quite often, but, um, and it was all, all around, we'd be driving down the road and First of all, if I ever use my horn when Danielle's in the car, like, I'm in big trouble. Um, and so, uh, and we would always, like, if someone cut me off or, you know, just road rage or did something, you know, I didn't like on the road, like, if, if I ever, I used to, like, stare him down, like, I'd pull up to him and, like, you know, give him the evil eye. And, um, or if I did honk my horn, like, my incredible wife would always be like, how do you know they're not in labor? And they're on their way to the hospital. I'm like, oh, give me a break. Like, come on. But like, like that perspective, what does that do? It reminds us that we're all people in this world who have a life and an ambition that we're trying to fulfill. And brokenness is present at every step of the way. But you and I, we have the hope of Christ. That through us, he wants to restore what's been broken. 
and recreate a shalom and a peace and a rhythm of life that's found only in a reconciling God. When you stay at home all day, moms or dads or wives or husbands, you have the opportunity to bring reconciliation and restoration and order to what's been taken out of order. Do you see it as that? God wants to restore your view of what you do and why you do it. You think you have a job that doesn't matter, this is meaningless. You have people in your job that matter and mean a ton. You have people in your family that matter, that were created in the image of God. And I don't care how much you don't like them, how much you wish you could avoid them, by God's plan, he's put them in your life and you in their life to bring about the means of them finding hope in the person of Christ. You ever get that thought in your head? Man, I wish someone would come along and set them straight. It's you. You know that, right? Like you're the one. You're, you're the means by which God wants to bring hope and transformation to the people around you. While he does it in you. It's an awful, unbelievable, simultaneous process that sometimes isn't any fun. Look at verse 21. Paul's going to get personal. In the previous verses, he was addressing the church corporate, kind of um, above the ground, 30,000 feet. And here he's going to get very specific and very personal to the church at Colossae when he says this in verse 21. And you... You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I think the reminder here is that in the call to bring about, to reestablish not only Jesus as Lord of creation, but Jesus as Lord of redemption, is to be reminded that as he wants to work through us, the first thing he's done is worked in us. Do you see that? Because when he says to the church, he says, you were once alienated. And hostile in mind. Like remember your condition. Remember your heart before a holy God apart from Jesus Christ. That you were once alienated and hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. Past tense. At war with God. And he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. He's reconciled you. He's brought about redemption in your heart and in your life. And we need to be reminded of that. That as we nitpick people, as we look down on people, we need to be reminded of our own condition apart from Christ. In order to present you holy, Verse 22, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This, this idea of, of presenting is the same image as the Old Testament sacrificial system where they would come to God with a, with a perfect spotless animal and present that animal to a holy God. 
saying, Jesus wants to move us in the path of sanctification, the path of growth, to present us. To present us before his Father as holy and blameless and above reproach. If you continue in the faith, verse 23, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, that has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. I don't have to be the first to tell you, or it's nothing new for me to tell you, that continuing in the faith is one of the hardest things to do. Is it not? Like, it's amazing when you have this incredible experience with God. Wherever it's at, maybe it's at your conversion experience, or maybe it's at church, or with a friend, and you have this incredible experience where you're just like, faith is so real, this is who God is. But to actually walk that out where the rubber meets the road is incredibly difficult. Eugene Peterson wrote a whole book on it called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Like, we don't like that. Like, we don't like things that are long. We get bored. It gets hard. But but the road of of Christianity, of the Christian faith, is that very thing. A long obedience in the same direction. And Paul says this, if indeed you continue in the faith. Now, Paul here isn't doubting the, the, the Colossians as to whether or not they will actually do that as much as he's charging them in the confidence that they will do that. Matthew twenty four thirteen says, those who endure to the end will be saved. So there's an element to our salvation that requires an endurance to the finish line. If you've ever been a part of something incredibly difficult, maybe you prepared for or trained for. I was incredibly humbled um, when Danielle and I, our life goal, um, her life goal that she drug me into was to run a marathon. And I was like, I'm really not interested, but... um, the Lord got a hold of my heart, which typically happens in our relationship, and, and then I realized, okay, okay, let's do this. And so um, we're, we're running a marathon last summer, and I had done one previously, and here, so here I'm the whole time I'm thinking, like, I've done this before. Like, I know, how the, I know the ropes, I know how this goes, like, I'm going to be the one that's going to push her through the finish line. And um, it couldn't have been more opposite. Um, and for those that know her well, know, could have planned that. Um, here I am, literally mile 18, and I was like done. And she's like way ahead of me. She's like, come on, babe, like, what are you doing? Like, pick it up. You know, like, here, have a banana. Like, trying, <laughs> trying, to, uh, trying to encourage me and pump me up. And, and literally, this is, this is kind of funny, but um, not really because it's kind of sad. But um, so we're about to approach the finish line. And here I am... Um, I get this cramp in my leg, and I almost fall down, and I hear some spectators say, you can do it, and I just want to be like, shut up. <laughs> you get out here. Um, and like, I, I see the finish line ahead. But more than that, I see my wife just beelining it for the finish line. And I, I, I see her. And as much as I wish she would have, like, stopped and, come on, babe, like, let's do this together. Like, more than that. (laughs) 
more than that, I was encouraged and challenged by the fact that she was finishing strong. That long obedience in the same direction, continue in the faith, steadfast and firm. That's, that's a community project. That's a community effort. And this image that Paul uses, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, is the same image that's used by Jesus in the story of building your house on the rock versus building your house on the sand. And God's designed it that redemption happen in our world and in each other's lives with each other. That the long obedience in the same direction and that the establishing of truth as a foundation and a destruction of the shifting sand in our lives be a means of one another. Pushing one another to pursue the long obedience in the same direction. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel. I don't know about you, but there's such an easy tendency to shift from the hope of the gospel. There can just be this mental thing that we know, but actually to put our hope in the fact that we have an identity that's unshakable. Do you realize that? Do you realize the identity you have in Christ right now as you sit here? Like, I don't care what's going on in your soul right now. I don't care how you feel about life or how you feel about yourself or how you feel about anyone around you or the people you are glad aren't around you. Like, I don't care about that. The identity, if you're a child of God, that you have as a child of God is unshakable and immovable. That's the hope of the gospel that's at work in our hearts and in our church. Every single moment of every single day, and we have the unbelievable privilege and opportunity to see that that gospel is brought to light all around us, everywhere we go. And Paul even makes this statement at the end when he says, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, become minister every single person here is a minister of the gospel do you realize that you're a minister of the gospel in the life of the person next to you you're a minister of the gospel in the life of the person you sit next to at work you're a minister of the gospel in the life of your kids you're a minister of the gospel in the life of your friends of your boss of everyone you come into contact with to bring about hope. And we live in a world that needs a ton of hope. And even you and I are people that need to see the hope we have in Christ every single moment of every single day. Because when we don't set that up as the foundation we begin to build our lives on the shifting sand of the world. We know how that goes. We begin to believe those lies. It's easy for you and I to sit here and think about the fact, yeah, Jesus is God, 
but do we actually live it? And what does it look like for us to this morning have our perspectives restored or challenged to think more deeply and live more deeply in the reality that Jesus would govern every area of our life? And you know what? I'll be the first to say I'm not good at that. And I need help. And that's why God's called us into a community to bring about the means of reconciliation. Let's pray and then I'll give some direction for how we can respond. God, I thank you for your perfect plan and your perfect will. Thank you that you offer a hope in your son, through your son, to restore our lives and the lives of those people we know. But not only that, to restore everything under heaven, even the created order, even the creatures. God, we forget so often that we have a role and a responsibility as your children. So God, would you remind us of that? Would you lead us to respond to you? We love you. Would you have your way in Christ's name? Amen.